Hello, and thank you for downloading this programme from Starry Decisis Radio, where we discuss all the judgments of the United Kingdom Supreme Court. My name is Mark Tottenham. In this show, I shall discuss the case of Charland v. Charland, which was decided on the 15th of October 2015. The citation for the case is 2015 UK SC 60. The main issue in this case concerned non-disclosure by a husband and family proceedings, and when the proce- whether the proceedings should have proceeded to hearing despite having been settled. The case is similar to that of Gohill v Gohill, and the two cases were heard together, but are the subject of separate decisions delivered on the same day. There is a separate podcast on the Gohill case. In this case, the couple were married in 1993 and separated in 2010. They had two minor children and an adult child who suffered from severe autism. The husband had a successful software business called AppSense, and one of the key issues in the case was the valuation of his business. The husband's valuers suggested that it might be worth as little as £6 million, while the wife's valuers thought it might be worth as much as £31 million. In any event, an issue was thought to arise as to how the value in the company might be realised. The husband said that an exit from the company was unlikely before three, five or seven years after July 2012 when the case was heard. After evidence had been given before Sir Hugh Bennett, the parties reached an agreement whereby the wife would receive £10 million in cash and property and 30% of the net proceeds of the sale in the business whenever that occurred. The agreement was approved by the judge and a draft order was drawn up. Before the order was perfected, however, there were press reports stating that AppSense was being actively prepared for an initial public offering and was expected to reach between 750 million US dollars and 100 million US dollars. Despite denials by the husband, documents provided by him suggested that this was the case and it was clear that he had not told either valuer of the imminent flotation of the company. The wife then applied to have the settlement set aside, but the judge decided not to reopen the case. He perfected the order on the grounds that the order being agreed was not substantially different from the order that he would have made had there been full disclosure at the outset. Therefore, he decided, the non-disclosure was not material. The matter proceeded to the Court of Appeal, which dismissed the wife's appeal, largely on the grounds that she had not cross-examined her husband on an affidavit filed in the application to reopen the case. In a vigorous dissenting judgment, Briggs LJ took the view that the fraud by the husband was material to the agreement, and, as he said, that fraud unravels all. The husband should not have been allowed to hold on to an order that was tainted by material fraud. The matter then proceeded to the Supreme Court, where the following issues were considered. First of all, whether family proceedings were in a different category from other proceedings for the desirability of settling claims. And secondly, whether the burden of satisfying the court that the settlement of the case should be set aside lay with the victim of the fraud or with the perpetrator. The unanimous decision of the court was given by Lady Hale, who strongly endorsed the dissenting opinion of Briggs LJ in the Court of Appeal. In relation to whether the family law proceedings should be considered differently, she acknowledged that there was a public interest in such a case being settled, but went on to say, 
It would be extraordinary if the victim of a fraudulent misrepresentation, which had led her to compromise her claim to financial remedies in a matrimonial case, were in a worse position to, than the victim of a fraudulent misrepresentation in an ordinary contract case, including a contract to settle a civil claim. A party who has practiced deception with a view to a particular end, which has been attained by it, cannot be allowed to deny its materiality. Furthermore, the court is in no position to protect the victim from the deception or to conduct its statutory duty pro duties properly because the court too has been deceived. End of quotation. On the issue of the burden of proof, she went on to say, open quotation, in my view, the burden of satisfying the court of that must lie with the perpetrator of the fraud. It was wrong in this case to place upon the victim the burden of showing that it would have made a difference. Close of quotation. She ordered that the matter be returned to the family division of the High Court for further directions and went on to discuss certain practical procedural issues that arose in the case. In my own view, the most useful aspect of this case was the restatement of the principle that the presumption was in favour of a settlement being set aside where it had been procured by fraud. The burden was on the perpetrator of the fraud to satisfy the court that the settlement should not be set aside and not the other way around. Thank you very much for listening to this programme. If you have any comments, please see the Star Decisis Radio Facebook page or Twitter account. And if you have enjoyed this programme, please tell your friends and colleagues about Starry Decisis Radio.